Good day, everyone, and welcome back to the Grief Observed podcast. I'm your host, Brad Morrell. If you want to be on the podcast to tell your story of grief, please contact me at griefobservedpodcast at gmail.com. I'll have the email in the show description. Uh, today, I've got a, a fellow on. It's you know I always talk about how men don't share about grief very often, but I've I've found another guy who's who's willing to come on the podcast with me and speak a little bit about his grief journey, not only about his grief journey, but he's also helping others. So I want to introduce my guest, Bob. Bob, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Brad. Thank you for having me here, sir. Yeah, yeah, I I appreciate it. I always state, you know, there's very few times that I can get men to come on and share, uh, especially about sensitive topics like grief. You know, if I if I had a podcast about football or hockey, I'd probably have many men signing up for that one. But uh, you know, whenever it talk we talk about emotions and things like that, um, I think men tend to shut down a little more and uh aren't quite as vocal so i i certainly appreciate you being here with me and and just speaking a little bit about grief so uh why don't you tell the uh listeners a little bit about your just who you are and and where you've been through life and then we'll we'll kind of get into the grief story here in a moment i appreciate that very much i i'm a i'm a married guy in oklahoma that's got um gosh i, I got two kids a son and daughter and about eight grandkids, excuse me, yeah, about eight grandkids and five great-grandkids. So we got here in a hurry. But, wow. Uh, I, I was moved pretty fast. But um, what I look back over my life, Brad, and I see how um, some changes have taken place in my personal life from being a home designer to going into the ministry to being a hospice bereavement coordinator, about 18 years as a pastor and then 18 years as a grief counselor with a hospice program. Retired about 12 years ago so I could do more grief conferences and workshops. And, um, and I, I have a hobby of sculpting, so I wanted to pursue that more. And so it's a balance of all of those things. But grief itself, uh, I guess I became aware of that when my dad died in 1990. He died suddenly from a heart attack and um, I discovered that. Uh, those types of losses can rob you of the opportunity to say goodbye. Mm. And that was the feeling I had was I felt like I'd been robbed and cheated of the opportunity to say goodbye and to finish my conversation. My, I was I was not through with my relationship with my dad and relationships end before we're through with them. And mm. that's the reason I urge people to look back over relationships and talk about things you would say to that person if you could talk with them again. But um, at the time my dad died, I was a pastor. And so what I did, Brad, I started taking care of other people instead of me. I, my grief was going on, but I did not want to focus on it. So I ran from it by staying busy and taking care of others. But then the circumstances changed. And after about three years, I realized that there was things in my life I needed to deal with, unfinished business in that relationship. And I found some folks in uh, Los Angeles and went through some training and um, changed my life. I realized uh, probably, Brad, the most important thing I can share today that changed my life is I realized that what I felt on the inside 
after my loss. That emptiness and the sadness and the heaviness, that was my grief. Mm-hmm. And no one could see it. It was private. But when I talked about it, it became mourning. So grief was on the inside. Mourning was when it was expressed. And I remember from the scriptures that Jesus did not say, blessed are those who grieve. But he did say, blessed are those who mourn. They mm. shall be comforted. So I begin to find ways to express my feelings, and I'm comfortable talking and sharing. So I found safe people I could talk to, and I found that that mourning part is where you find relief. We hold it inside. That's trying to hold in the grief and the feelings, and it will eat itself from the inside. I really like how you stated that, and I've I've never thought about that, you know, that that Jesus talked about blessed are those who mourn, not who those who grieve. Right. That that is so interesting. Yeah, because the, the inside grief just is a turmoil and we don't know what to do with it. That will keep us up at night. Mourning is channeling that to, to whether it's words or actions. It's an expression of what's on the inside. Yeah. You know, I always tell my clients, uh, you know, a lot of them will come in with anxiety or depression and things like that. And I state, you know, what are your, you know, what does your family think about your anxiety or your depression? And a lot of them get dismissed by family and friends because it's not something that they can see. I stated, you know, if, if you rolled up in here in a wheelchair, you know, somebody's going to hold the door for you or say, oh my goodness, what happened? And, but with grief and, and those, you know, emotions that we don't, uh, that people can't visibly see, I mm-hmm. think it gets discounted quite often. You're exactly right. You know, if I was to tell you I lost my car last night, you'd say, well, what happened? Or if I said I lost my house, you'd say, well, what happened? Or what if I said I lost my brother? Mm-hmm. You're easily going to ask what happened. <laughs> you know, so you're right. When it comes to grief, it's dealing with those emotional things. And like you said, a lot of times with men, we do not open up and talk about feelings. I, I've led grief support groups since 95, and um, the majority, I would say 90% are women in that group. If yes. there's a man, he usually comes with his daughter. A daughter usually brings dad to a group. That is interesting, but I I can see that. I'm very close with my daughter, and uh, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. That's what I see. And it's changing some uh, where there's more men coming to groups, but majority of women because they're more open to talk and uh, share feelings. The best way you can counsel with a man is uh, taking fishing or golfing so they don't have to sit and look at you. (laughs) They can look at other things and they can talk about a lot of things as long as they don't have to look at you. There's a lot of truth to that. Mm -hmm. But I I found that uh, the, the tools that helped me personally Brad, is what I begin to use as a as a pastor. And then um, when something we refer to as the Oklahoma City bombing took place, um, it changed a lot of people and changed my calling in life to uh, to go directly with a hospice program so I could deal with grievers all the time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was volunteering with them. And then when uh, the opportunity came, why well, I uh, stepped up and went full time with them. The best job I ever loved. If I had a new life, I would do it again. <laughs> that's that's a great thing to say right there. That that tells me it's your passion and it's your calling. All right. It, I'm real comfortable with it. And um, I think that um, 
if if I'm serious, if I had, I'm 75, if I had to go out when I was 25 or 30, my goodness, I would, I would jump at the chance. But, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but I, um, I found through doing groups and working with grievers and uh, not only grievers, but caregivers too, during the hospice program. And what I discovered was those caregivers, there's a word I prefer to use, this care grievers because they're actually grieving while they're giving care mm. and they're, they're watching changes take place right in front of them. And yet they internalize it, hold it in and put up a happy face. And they don't want to discourage the person they're taking care of and instead of sitting and having a heart to heart conversation. Yeah. And so uh, there, there are some tools that help me. And those are the tools that I uh, use in groups and I've, written a few books about grief and what I try to do is put tools in there to help people put words to grief so it can become mourning. Hmm. That's when you find comfort. Are your, are your books still floating out there, Bob? Are they somewhere like Amazon or? They're on Amazon. My my latest one, which I refer to as my latest and greatest. No, it's just that it's the, the latest one I started in 2023. I did one that's called what now? It's kind of a, a guide for the grief journey. What now? Just It's a book of tools. But it, not only tools, but what it, what it amounts to, Brad, is I encourage people to write a letter to the person who died. Mm-hmm. In this book of tools, about the last half of it is a journal that would give the headings of what you would say to them. And there's two or three pages, you know, if you could talk with them again. What would you apologize to them for? What would you thank them for? Those type of things. What would you like to hear from them? Like I said earlier, relationships end before we're through with them. So what would you like to go back and hear from that person and what you would like to say to them? So it's a little guidebook. It's a book of tools. It is on Amazon.com titled What Now? And um, to me, that's uh, a gift that um, you can give a griever and they can pick it up when they need it. It's a, it's a book of tools on how to put words to grief so they can become mourning. As long as you hold them inside, there's still grief. And some people never mourn. Well, let me, let me just come back to that. They never mourn in healthy ways. Mm-hmm. There are some unhealthy ways to mourn, whether it's drugs or alcohol or relationships or gambling. Uh, trying to fill that void with busyness and... Uh, yeah, that's what I call cheap anesthetics. You know, we're trying to <laughs> numb ourselves from from life and dealing with certain things. And uh, like you stated, you know, we're trying to fill the void. And I always say there's a difference between filling the void, F-I-L-L-I-N-G, versus feeling the void, F-E-E-L-I-N-G, you know. Yeah. And uh, yes. I think we have to feel it in our emotions and our, our bodies before we... Uh, try to do anything different and right. so many people like you state uh they want to avoid that they want to run from it kind of like you stated you did there for a while right right i uh i led a grief group several years ago and there was a young man who was 18 years old and he had a 17 year old friend who died and i made the statement and i probably made this statement in every group brad i said we all need someone who will listen to us you know makes sense and he said, that's right, Bob, but we also need someone who will hear us. Mm. And as I was driving home, I was thinking about what he said, and I realized that 
we listen with our ears, and sometimes it'll come in one ear and go out the other ear, but we listened. But you hear with your heart. You yeah. cannot spell the word heart until you spell the word hear first and put a T on it. So we, we hear on that level of the heart, and men and women need someone who will hear them on the heart level, not judge them, but just as hear the feelings, that E-E-L, feelings that they have. Yeah. Need that, that safe person. Mm. Yeah, I've got your book your book pulled up here, Bob. I'm uh I'm gonna put that in the show description as well, just a link to it. And uh I look forward to to reading that. I'm gonna grab that book too. <laughs> yeah. I uh, my mom is ninety nine and I uh I'd sent a book to her that I wrote probably about ten years ago. She called me back, she said, I read that book in an hour. I said, That's great, Mom. I go back and work through those that homework in there. <laughs> That's the so, challenge right there. I I wrote a, a workbook last year um, on divorce, and you know it's you could probably it's probably 150 some pages. You could read through it probably in two three hours, no problem. But when you start filling in the blanks and you take time to ponder certain things, uh, it changes a book. So yes, you're yeah. you're right. Yeah. I it's uh. Uh, it's more of a workbook than it is a reading book, right? Right. I encourage people to uh, read the book, but also let the book read you. <laughs> as you're going through that, be able to make some notes. And that's what a provider places to make notes as you go through that book, because it, it's a it's a place to mourn. You think about it, when they're writing those letters, writing the words, grief is coming out. And so it's a it's a mourning book. <laughs> Well, the great news is I've got, well, I don't know if it's great news, but next week I'm actually doing a grief seminar uh, here in East Tennessee. So hopefully I'll get this book from Amazon quickly and I'll be able to uh, promote it there for you as well. I know that's not your intentions for this podcast, but certainly I, you know, like we spoke of before we uh, punched record, you know, the, the grief community, it's, uh, it's huge. You know, every one of us will die and every one of us knows someone that has. So right. uh, it's, it's big enough for all of us and, and, uh, anyone that's trying to help in the grief community, I, I tip my hat to it's, it's, uh, uh, it's there's easier jobs in town, aren't there? If we're looking for a job <laughs> there, there are, <laughs> yeah, it's that, that's true. But, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that you have, uh, many stories of, I hate to use the word rewards, but there there are rewards when you're helping people through these things. I, I find my job very rewarding, speaking to people and trying to get them to a different place in life. What are some rewards that you've found through your work in grief? Mm -hmm. You know, that's because uh, I, I try not to hang those up, you know, uh, but I realize that there's um there. Are, there's a satisfaction, I guess, that is when you're putting a tool out there and someone uses that tool and they get back to you and say, you know, I wrote that letter and it really helped. It took a load off when I said those things. To me, that's a reward is when you provide a tool and people use the tool. My dad was an airplane mechanic. Now I understand why he got so upset when his boys left his tools out in the yard. Mm. because he used tools. Well, I use tools also, and I know how valuable they can be. But the tools I share, Brad, they're worthless. 
until they're applied. Mm-hmm. And what I encourage people to do is apply the tools. That's that's good. I, I speak a lot about, you know, a parachute. Uh, sometimes you may not have to use a parachute if you're on the ground, right? But you want to know how it works. And uh, sometimes I talk to people about using these tools, even on their good days, you know, when they're not feeling heavy grief, because there's going to be a day that comes back where it, uh, you know, you, you talked about running away from grief initially and grief will find you. And unfortunately it's, there's a bill due there. And a lot of times it's due with interest if we don't pay it up front. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's what, when people, you know, ask how long grief lasts, I, I ask them to put their hand across their chest. And I said, when you can put your hand up there, and if you feel a beat, you're not over it. Yeah. yeah. As long as you got that beat, you're a griever. That's true. That's true. And and of course, grief changes. You know, if mm-hmm. I if I met you in 1990 when your father passed away suddenly, I'm mm-hmm. sure you and I would be having a much, much different conversation. Sure. Um, I, I'm sure your grief journey has changed a lot over the years. Um, doesn't mean that you don't still miss your father. You know, it doesn't mean that uh, you don't wish for more time with him, but well, yeah. things have changed. Yep. What I what I found is I've you know I lost my dad physically, but emotionally and spiritually I'll never lose him. Mm-hmm. We lose a physical relationship, but emotionally and spiritually they're still with us. That's the reason the least little thing will trigger a memory. Yeah. Because they're still with us, and uh, so that that. You know, one of the first things I try to do, Brad, when I'm speaking to grievers is to normalize their feelings, help them understand what normal grief is. And I mentioned that in a grief group many years ago, and the lady said, Bob, the only thing normal in my life is the sitting on my washing machine that says normal. I I came home. I promise I did this. I came home. I looked at the washing machine dial and those words around that dial as they related to grief. Normal mm. is on that dial, mm. and so so is heavy load. Wow! There's some days that grief is so heavy people can't get out of bed. Light load is on that dial, and on that day when you're running in circles and can't accomplish anything, that's your spin cycle. That's on that dial, and if you cry a lot, that's your rinse cycle. It's all on that dial. I call it wash day grief, but it's mm. normal. I want people to just realize it's normal for them, but it doesn't have to be normal for everyone because, you know, you know this too from your practice and visiting with grievers. There are no cookie cutter grievers where everybody's just the same. Everybody's That's right. We grieve according to our personality. We grieve according to other losses in our life and the relationship we had with the person who died. So many factors determine how we grieve. That's the reason I think it's important to give tools to guide that grief into mourning. It's different for everyone, but the tools will work. And in fact, you mentioned divorce earlier. That is grief because you lost a relationship and you lost a dream. So some of these same tools allow us to put words to those feelings too. Yeah, that's, uh, you've brought on a a lot of great points already, Bob. I I wish I would have met you sooner. I would have invited you out here to uh, help me with this grief seminar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to do that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm 
confident, Brad. I think you can handle it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. But yeah, you, you've brought on some really good points. I like the washing machine. I've never really thought about that before, but, uh, yeah, look, in fact, down at the right hand side of ours, it had two words, cool down and pause. Well, mm. sometimes we have to do that in life too. You know? We have that's to pause. Yeah. Those people who are coming to your conference, that, that's what they're doing. They came to cool down and pause. Yes. And, you know, I'm just so happy that people do sign up for things like that. I know it's a big step and, uh, but it's, it tells me that they're at least willing to face grief. You know, mm -hmm. they may not be in a place where they're ready to do some heavy lifting on it, but they're mm -hmm. at least willing to state, yes, this happened in my life. And that's, right. that's hard to face. Oh, it is. Yeah. And I remember going to my first grief group as when I attended and the man who was leading the group, the first thing he said, Brad, was, you can go through this entire workshop and never open your mouth. And when he said that, I, it just took a load off of me. I was afraid I was going to have to stand up and speak like, hi, I'm Bob and I'm a griever. No, right. he, he did not want to put pressure on anyone. And that way it, it just lowered all the walls. You could almost feel people being open to hear because he said, you don't have to talk. And uh, that really helped me personally. Hmm. Yeah, that that's good. Uh, I may open up with that at my grief seminar because uh, I usually, I mean, I've got a slideshow that I do through the whole thing, but it's uh, it's more of just a a rough outline and and something to deviate from. I always tell people if you've got a question from the moment go, throw it out here. I. I don't want somebody to feel like they just come to a seminar and I'm just clicking through slides and they go home empty handed. I want right. people to, uh, I guess, personalize it to their own life. You know, give me a question that, uh, you know, that you're struggling with right now. How can I help you with that? I want people to, if they can walk away with one nugget from, from that and, and say, okay, this is something to plant or this is something to work on, then it was enough. Right. And and I agree with you as far as it takes a lot of courage to come to a grief group. And I always acknowledge that, that it takes a lot of courage because these people had a choice and they decided to come. So uh, I want to go easy on them, so to speak. And one of the things um, I started probably within two months of when I started doing grief work in 95, I, I started uh, sculpting in clay and I've started blending back then, um, I will actually stand and sculpt a little broken heart in clay while I'm sharing about grief. Mm. And that that heart will have stitches on it. Those are past losses. We all have those. And those are like a scar. If you have a scar on your body, you can hit it just right, and you can still feel the pain. And you know, you remember how you got that scar. Same way with past losses in life. Someone might say a word to you today, and it'll take you back 20 years to a painful loss, those scars. But then I break the heart down the middle, but right across that break, I put a bandage. Mm. Bandages do not heal. They just hold you together while God does the healing. Well, you and I both have gotten to this point in life because we've had bandages. Yes. They help hold us together. And now we have the opportunity to be a bandage for others. And uh, as we're doing that, we try to provide some tools to help them hold together, so to speak, when they feel like they're falling apart. How do you think 
your grief journey would be different if you weren't a believer? Uh, uh, my word that comes to my mind first is hopeless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, I would, it's like I would be, instead of standing on something solid, I'd be standing on sand. And uh, it, you, you know, we've heard the description of grief is like walking into an ocean and turning back toward the the beach. You're about waist deep and closing your eyes, and you get your feet all settled in that sand and stabilized. Well, a wave that you did not see comes up behind you, almost knocks you over. You didn't mm -hmm. see it coming. That's grief. You don't see it coming. And you, you get stabilized again, and there's another wave. And just grief comes in waves. And if we're standing in the sand, it will knock us over. Yeah. So, you know, that, I appreciate you asking that question because I believe my faith does determine how I grieve. I, I have hope because I can mourn. And yeah, talk that part. I can I can express feelings, and uh, am I perfect with it? Oh goodness, goodness, no. Uh, there are some days that uh, my grief is is close to the surface, and I want that because I never want to lose touch with that part. That uh, that aspect of my life is still there. The loss that I don't get over it. Like I say, I can. Put my hand up there, as long as I feel a heartbeat, I'll be a griever. I remember my dad, and the first letter I wrote based on these tools was a letter to my dad. And uh, it gave me an opportunity to put words to what I would say if I could have talked to him again. Hmm. Was your father a believer? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was. I was but you will see him again, right? Oh, yeah, not a problem. Yep, he's just gone ahead of me. That's it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm telling you that uh that does give me hope right there just knowing that uh yes i i will i will see you know significant people in my life again i had a best friend that uh passed away several years ago it's been 12 years ago now and uh you know both of my grandfathers one that i was particular particularly uh close to <clears throat> and i you know i can't wait to see them and talk to them and uh i i don't know i i can only imagine what heaven will be like you know yeah yeah you probably won't recognize me i'll have hair i'm pretty sure in heaven uh, <laughs> we've got a just god right <laughs> yes yes well yeah. I, i'm right there with you I, i'm hoping for that new body and and yeah. a little bit of extra hair myself <laughs> uh, yeah, but i but i do believe that my my christian faith is uh the foundation i have and my books are not based on that, uh, but it's my personality is <laughs> put it that way. Um, I, I did write a book. It's on Amazon for the ultimate caregiver. And I wrote a book about Christ on the cross and the seven sayings of Christ, because when he was on the cross, he was a caregiver. He took care of the thief. He took care of his mom, took care of John. He took care of us. And so wow. he, was, he was a caregiver from the cross. And uh, it, yep. it's basically to take in the words that he used and apply the tools that I share in grief. Well, it's too late to amend my Amazon order. I've already purchased the other book, but uh, <laughs> maybe I'll add that one to my collection as well. I'll place another yeah. order. Yeah, the the Amazon bad. guy, uh, they're, they're uh, very familiar with my house. <laughs> <laughs> I understand, right. Yep. Yep. But uh, when I, when I think about the groups, I, lit, I, I, I know my limitations. I do not 
uh, feel a calling to deal with children in grief, children grieve too. And uh, the thing is, though, they do not know the words that we know as adults. So they might act out their grief instead of using words. So I, I have a resource and resources to refer children to because I know my limitations uh, working with grief. But uh, I want the adults to realize and the parents and grandparents that realize that children grieve too. And um, when they see the adults hurting and questioning things, that shakes their foundation because they're depending on the adults to guide them. And so I think it's important for us to realize that children are often overlooked and many times they're not even allowed to go to funerals. And uh, that is, that's the next question I was getting ready to ask you, Bob, because you and I are kindred spirits here. I, I don't see anybody under 18 in my practice. And it's just, I've learned that uh, there's somebody else that probably can deal with that better than me. I enjoy people who number one, want to be, uh, in counseling and I guess number two, who see the value of it, but tell me, um, and I'm sorry if I cut you off there, but I, I do want to talk about what are your thoughts on a parent who does try to shield their, their children from a funeral? What are your mm -hmm. thoughts on that? Yeah. I, I always encourage parents and adults, if they have that question whether a child should go to a funeral, Talk with the funeral director and try to have one-on-one -on -one time, uh, maybe a night before visitation, where you can take the child in and let the funeral director also sit in on that, who can answer questions that the child might ask that the parent may not want to answer, uh, but have a professional there that can do that. And I think that's a that's a plus to allow a child to ask questions, to touch the body, so to speak, and. Uh, you know, maybe a minister that would step in and answer some of those questions too. But I believe providing that environment allows a child to be part of it because um, if if they feel like they're pushed away from that and held away from the funeral, that, that can send a message that we're not interested in your feelings. Okay. Yeah, my daughter did not attend very many funerals growing up. And, you know, maybe we were just blessed with healthy people in our lives for the most part, but she didn't attend a lot of funerals that I recall. And by that, she, she ended up, I guess, developing a fear of people who had died. She, mm. she had a fear of funerals. Now, mm. ironically, she is a nurse now and, wow. you know, it's, um, for a long time, she was a CNA and she, she would state, dad, I'm, I'm afraid of somebody were to die and I'm there and I've got to take care of them. And I'm like, you know, you're, you're going to see this. This is part of your job. She, she was working at a, uh, a nursing home at that time. So it's, you know, things happen. Um, but I think her fear of death has diminished quite a bit just by being around it. So I think it is a healthy thing to, uh, introduce children to the concept that, you know, things are not permanent here on, on earth. And, you know, I, uh, we were speaking a little bit about, uh, the VA before we came on here and, and I'm very thankful for the people that take care of veterans at the VA. But whenever I was living, uh, the Navy life, I'll call it in, you know, I was 20, 21 years old. 
Um, I probably was not living the best life that I should. I was living more of that military lifestyle that we see, I guess, idolized on TV sometimes, the the carefree and uh, just living it up. But I started having really bad anxiety attacks at age 20. And I feel like it was because of the lifestyle that I was living at that time. And it was the first time in my life that I felt I'm not immortal. And mm -hmm. I think that's an important concept that people need to learn early on. And if you look at the news for five minutes, you're, you're going to see a bunch of people who feel like they're going to live forever. Mm -hmm. And I think by introducing children to funerals and death early on, they get it in their head that, hey, life is temporary. Now, mm -hmm. I know as a child, too, I mean, even probably through uh, my early 30s, I felt like, you know, th this lasts forever. But, um, you know, as we state, you know, you blink twice, you've got two kids, eight grandkids and five great grandkids, right? It's so life goes quickly. Yeah, you're right. W one of the first losses I recall was a classmate. I was in fifth grade and I had a classmate who was in an accident over the weekend. He died um, on a Saturday. And what happened, Brad, is at school, we didn't even talk about him. It's like we could talk about him at home, but at school he wasn't even mentioned. Of course, mm. like I say, I'm, I'm 75. Things have changed now. They would send counselors to the school, but um, that that stuck with me. That it's almost like there's some areas you could talk about it, some areas you can't. And so I think finding a place where a child has freedom to talk and ask questions would be very healthy. And I like that word. There, there is a healthy grief. Yes, it's when it's expressed, yeah, it's, uh, when you're able to express it, it becomes mourning, then it becomes healthy. Mm. What do you think has helped you the most in your grief journey? Uh, I know you stated you had the hobby of of working with clay, and I think that's a great thing that people need is is a hobby and a an outlet to express, especially in a creative way, maybe their grief. But uh, what are some other things that you've found that that helped on a personal level you know the writing has helped me uh the um I, I guess to organize things and that's what i always think uh when i'm talking with a griever is to help them recognize their grief organize it and express it those three mm -hmm. steps recognize organize and express and so that's what has helped me personally is to recognize grief and loss of my own life that maybe no one else knows about, but I do, and I realize what it is. And uh, you know, we're um, I, like I say, I mentioned I have a I have a son and a daughter, and my son, goodness, he must be fifty three years old now. My daughter's forty eight. Well, uh, a couple of years ago, our daughter was diagnosed uh, with breast cancer mm. and with a double mastectomy, and um, radiation and chemo and, and the, I guess uh, soon to be, I guess about a year and a half ago now on, on Valentine's Day, she was declared cancer-free. Wow. We celebrated that. But then the 1st of April, she had a stroke. Mm. And so um, grief entered again. Just those periods of 
you know, that you lose your dreams and your hopes. And uh, so we we grieve the loss of anything valuable to us. It does not have to be a death. Right. And so personally, we've gone through that. My wife and I have gone through that. We became caregivers for our daughter. And the good news is she's she's so much better. She walks without a cane, did not affect her speech. And, uh, Great. So uh, just a little bit on the left arm, but... You know, she's a very strong woman, and um, I'm so proud of her. I, but if I look back, I would trade places with her in an instant because mm. we try to protect those we love. And uh, But that was grief personally that we've experienced in my household in the last couple of years. And uh, that's helped me in the grief journey personally, but also relating to other people. And you mentioned, you said it well, that sometimes people, they lose <laughs> They lose the idea that all this is temporary. All this is temporary. My goodness. And we want to argue about little nitpicky stuff and just realize there's more important things in life. And um, changes your priorities. Grief will change your priorities in life. Yes. Well, what once was real important will go to the bottom of the list. That's the absolute that truth. Go to the top. I've had people say that grief turns your world upside down. And I kind of have the idea that it turns it right side up because that's we start a, focusing on the things that are good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really a good way of, of looking at it. Yeah. So how do you handle, like, the pressure to be strong for others when you're dealing with grief in your own home like that? Yeah, well, I let them know up front that, um, that I grieve too and I struggle too and I can relate to the heartache. Um, I don't try to put up a front that I'm stronger than you are or anything. We're fellow grievers. Yes. And, uh, and I think that's where it comes back to that young boy that talked about the difference, you know, about listening and hearing. I want to let people know I want to hear their heart. That's it. Yeah. I, I tell my clients, I'm, I, I don't try to over disclose, but at the same time, I want them to know that I'm human and, yeah. I think sometimes people come to counseling thinking, okay, this guy, he's just read a book and he got a degree and, um, that's not it. You know, there, I, I have life experience and I think it's good that I became a therapist later in life when I would appreciate it, when I've gone through things that, uh, you know, I don't wish on anybody, but at the same time, it brings some validity to my counseling. And right. I think sometimes just by stating, you know, I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I've been through something similar. Let's mm -hmm. talk about it. You know, and, and we've talked about on this podcast before how hurtful the words are of, I know exactly what you're going mm. through. That's, yeah. that's very harmful statement, right? Yeah, it's true. That, and it's impossible to know exactly what they're going through. It's impossible. Right. I can relate to something you saw, talk about as far as therapists, the same way with a pastor, you know, I was 30 years old when God led me into the ministry and the training for the ministry. And uh, but when it came to the point where I was leaving the pastorate to do grief work, I would have pastor friends to call and say, Bob, I can't believe you're getting out of the ministry. Well, I realized I'm not getting out. I just I'm going from a shotgun to a rifle. There I know you go. Exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, to this point, and hopefully for the rest of this day. <laughs> That is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And something to help me, Brad, was realizing that 
there's a difference between a preacher and a pastor. If um, I, I need a preacher a couple of times a week on Sundays, you know, but I need pastor 24 seven. Mm. If my daughter's in the hospital up here, I don't need a preacher. I need a pastor because the pastor's on the heart level and uh, they're speaking to the heart and uh, preachers sometimes speak to our ears and hope it absorbs to the heart. Yeah. But I, I know that there's a difference in my life. I can speak. I can only speak for Bob. I know that that is the difference I saw in my life was when I realized that I wasn't being called to be a preacher. I was called to be a pastor and how I do that is in the area of grief. And, uh, you know, that's that's my calling, and um, I hope to uh, to stick around several more years to to enjoy this calling I have. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I don't know that we would have appreciated, you know, these callings that we've had later in life. Sounds like you and I both had these later life callings. Um, yeah. I, I don't think I would have appreciated it in my 20s. I really no, don't. I would not. Nope. But no. now it is a passion. I, You know, I joke with my wife telling her I'm going to retire, but shoot, I'll, I'll never retire. <laughs> it's, so, I, so I, I know that in some capacity, I will always try to give back in this area of life. And, and maybe I will, uh, hang up my license at some point and, and, you know, maybe do more of the, the hospice thing. I, I think that's mm -hmm. a, a beautiful thing to be with somebody when they're drawing those last breaths. And and I, I would imagine being in hospice, you've seen that more times than you can count. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I have. And in fact, the, the tools that uh, that I you know, use personally, they actually are good tools for a family member to sit beside the bed or somebody they love and have that conversation that's needed to happen. And so um, try to guide them in that too. But yeah, I have great respect for hospice home care. People who who deal in that aspect of life because it's coming. I, I really hope someday, and I hope it's, you know, quite a ways off, but like I say, my mom's 99. I, I hope I have her genes, uh, but yeah. I really hope I have the opportunity to be a hospice patient because I would like to be able to experience that and have my family experience that with me. Mm. I want to be down the road a little ways. I have some projects to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, you know, you, you had spoken about your father and uh, how at the time that he passed, you felt robbed. Um, yes. Yeah. Has that changed or do you still feel like there was things that you... No, it, yeah, it, it did change because I wrote a letter and was able to put words to those feelings of being robbed. And But what I, it did was uh, give me some tools to be a better dad to my son. Ooh, and uh, yeah. I've tried to plant some seeds and be more open because I look back at my dad's family of origin and realize that I never heard the words, I love you from my dad. He showed us he loved us, but I never heard the words. But I realized in the environment he was raised, he probably never heard those words either. And so my wife and I intentionally have changed that in our family. Our kids and grandkids get tired of hearing it. And my son has five boys. And I see how he raised those. He is so much of a better dad than I ever dreamed of being. I see how he raised those boys and they're successful young men and see them uh, they're going to be successful in life. You know, they all have ministries of some type. They'll touch lives. And uh, 
you know, I realized that, okay, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle here. I'm seeing both directions where I missed opportunities with my dad, but I get to see them carried out with my son. So, yeah, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like you've got a, a great family, Bob. And, uh, best one you know, I ever had. Eh? What's that? That's the best one I've ever had. Yeah. 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 But it's, uh, I, I like the fact that, uh, you saw some things in your family dynamics of, you know, your family of origin and, mm -hmm. and, and how you wanted that to change. And, and, mm -hmm. You know, the, the one word that I always come back to is being intentional. And it sounds yes. like you were. Oh, yes. Yeah. I had, you know, I believe in that word. I really do, Brad. And in fact, I, the one that we mentioned earlier was on my Facebook page every morning, I write an article about uh, grief called The Morning Moment. And uh, that word intentional is something I probably use at least once a week in an article. Nice. I encourage people to be intentional with their grief, but intentional with their mourning, intentional when they're sharing feelings, but do something intentionally. And that way we have some control over it. We're doing it intentionally. The opposite yeah. of that is not having control of anything in life and just you know going like a leaf in the wind. But um, I think we can do some things intentionally that are healthy. Yes, yes. Yeah, the other word that I lean on a lot is being sacrificial. And, you know, I I, I don't know exactly how that could play out in grief uh, for the griever, but I think those around them for sure need to be more sacrificial with their time, uh, especially. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I hear from so many grievers is, you know, it's everybody was there that first week, you know, and then it was crickets. And, yeah, exactly. And I, I think we've got to be intentional and sacrificial for loving on those who have lost someone recently, especially, you know, yep. and, and, and maybe, uh, maybe that's putting things in a box. Maybe we have to be intentional and sacrificial for those who lost someone a long time ago that still, uh, is grieving heavily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, can tell you, I, I remember the time that I fell in love with grievers. I was a pastor, and I came to, came to myself in my office one morning. I realized about two weeks prior to that, I had conducted a funeral service for a family, but I had not been back in touch with them. And so I began to focus on quicker follow-up and, you know, uh, staying in touch with people after a death. And that's when I fell in love with grievers. I looked back and realized that was a turning point and so that led into being a volunteer for a hospice. and But it, it was intentional. And yes, there's some sacrifice in doing that because you, you put something aside to put something else in its place. Yes. But that's what I needed to do. And I look back and realize that's when I fell in love with grievers, when mm. I began to focus on them. And I, I always want to be in love with grievers. They're everywhere, man. Yeah. Yeah, they <laughs> sure are. I saw one in my mirror just a couple hours ago. <laughs> yeah. Was that the one without the hair? <laughs> exactly. <I've seen> him. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sometimes he, sometimes he looks like my dad looking back at me. <laughs> oh, you know, it's, it's funny. You mentioned that Bob, you're, you're close in age to my father. My father's 72 oh, and yeah. I've told him for years. I'm like the older he gets, the younger he <laughs> looks because I'm catching up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, Those could, wrinkles yeah. that he used to have, you know, 25 years ago are now my wrinkles. So, yeah, 
I read once that wrinkles are where the troubles of life have been plowed under. So oh my goodness. It's, wow. It's okay to have some. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, none of us get out of life, uh, unscathed, I guess, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. we'll, we'll have our troubles for sure. That's why I enjoy one of the things I do in sculpture. I do a lot of portrait sculpture and I love to take a sculpture and just start putting wrinkles on the face. My hmm. goodness. That'll, that'll age. You could age someone real quick just by drawing some lines. <laughs> That's true. That is absolutely true. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that we may have missed, Bob. It's, I, I tell you, it's been a, a very enjoyable conversation. And, uh, you know, when you contact somebody online, you never know what you're going to get. You get a mixed bag of, <laughs> of things, but this has truly been enjoyable. And I know a lot of people will say, how, how could talking about grief be enjoyable? But, you know, I think like you stated, just speaking about things and, and being open and honest and stating, Hey, this is what I've gone through. Um, I think it does bring some type of joy to a person's heart just by expressing this is my journey. Right. Right. It's just like, you know, if we were together, I'd show you pictures of my kids and grandkids because we're proud of them. Well, there should be that same freedom to talk to somebody about grief and our heartache. We find that safe person who's not going to judge us somebody that will accept us, and somebody that you could sit down and have a cup of coffee with and say, this is what's going on in my life right now. We need that safe person. And uh, that's why I encourage grievers, don't pull yourself into a shell, but find that safe person who's not going to judge you. They'll, they're not going to correct you. They'll let you talk. Because as you're talking, your grief becomes mourning. We need that person in our life. And then as we find that person, we'll turn around and be that person for someone else. 100%. Yes. I, I don't know many grievers that have not used it in some form or fashion, or at least at the very least became more compassionate to those who are currently going through new grief. Yeah. Um, so, yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's, uh, it's amazing. It is, uh, it's, it's kind of like passing a torch, I guess, through life, you know, and, and the older we get, the more grief that we see, the more grief we have. And, uh, certainly the more personal loss that occurs, whether it's more of our, you know, high school classmates, you know, I, I graduated in 1993, just to put it in perspective, Bob, but, uh, but honestly, it's, it's amazing. And I, I had a very small, group. I, I don't know what was in my graduating class, maybe 118, 120, somewhere in there, but we've already lost several classmates and it's like, yeah. wow, I'm, I'm, I'll be 49 this year. And I've got, I've got that, socks in the You're so young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I probably have socks pretty close to that age too. My, my wife would love for me to throw them away, but, uh, <laughs> If but it only has one hole, it's still usable, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but, you know, it's, see, it is amazing though, to see just, uh, how, how much grief does come in life and how much loss occurs. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, as believers, especially, I think, uh, we hear that, I don't know, that music just swelling as we get older that, uh, you know, I, it surprises me that people, um, I guess my age keep living the way they did when they were teenagers, when they've seen so much loss, it's like, do you not want to find a greater hope? And, right. uh, I don't know what I would do without God in my life. I, 
Uh, I'm very thankful that I found him. I, I've been a believer since, well, really 11, but uh, mm -hmm. grew up in church my entire life. But I, I don't know what I would do without God. It's uh, especially in moments of grief. It's, uh, yeah. and I, I, I love going back to the, you know, uh, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Mm -hmm. And it shows that, you know, our God has emotions, you know, even though, uh, Jesus was fully God, fully man at the same time. Um, he, he wept. And I, I think it's okay, especially for men to understand that it's, it's okay to cry. It's okay to show emotion. Um, but yeah, if it's true. And what he was doing when he was weeping, he, he was mourning. That's right. That's right. It was expression and, of what was this inside. So Bob, let me get your take on that real quick. It's uh, kind of a neat segue, but you know, there's part of me that wonders, I mean, obviously Jesus was grieving the loss of a friend, mm -hmm. but at the same time, there's part of me that wonders if he was crying because they were asking him to bring Lazarus back um, and thinking that, you know, he's already in a great place and you're wanting me to bring him back here to this <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. temporal earth. You know, it's, uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think that that could have been part of it, but I also believe he saw the sisters, Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus. He saw them weeping and crying. I think that was his compassion for them. Mm, okay. Relating, relating to their, he saw their mourning also because they were crying. Uh, griefs on the inside, mourning is when it's expressed. He was watching them mourn. Yes. But he also knew he was going to bring Lazarus back to life and he's going to die again someday. <laughs> you know. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It was temporary. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it makes me think of, uh, I've mentioned this book a couple of times on this podcast, but I read The Grieving Brain by Mary Frances O'Connor, and it's it's a great book full of a lot of scientific things. And it looks at grief more through science than it does through emotion. But one of the studies in there, and it's it's been a while since I read it, but it was about um, these chimpanzees, I believe, and... They, I guess, did a couple of different tests. One, they would allow the mother chimpanzee to grieve her child alone. And I believe it would go on for weeks, like three or four weeks before she would actually leave it. However, if they allowed other chimpanzees in the room with the grieving mother, she would leave it within just a couple of days. And I think mm. what that states to us, uh, and and I, I realize that we're we're different than animals. We have different emotions, but I think when we're surrounded by other people, I think it is uh, more bearable. Maybe that's the best way. I don't want to say it's easier, but I want to say it's more bearable knowing that we have um, people that are by our side. And right. when you go back to those moments with Jesus and, and knowing that, uh, you know, he was there with the grieving sisters, you know, what, what a story, you know, just to know that my friend grieves with me. I think it's right. a great, great thing. Yeah. I think that's confirmation of, of feelings that we're going through. We have corporate grief right there. There's a group instead of just, I'm not in this by myself. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, Bob, I'm going to let you uh, close us out. However, uh, just is there anything that we've missed that you want to 
talk about any, anything that you want to plug, I will have your email address and your Facebook page listed in the, uh, show description, um, as well as a link to your Amazon book that, that you spoke of. Um, is there anything that we've missed or you want to speak about? Mm. That, that's a wide open deal. <laughs> no, it is, I, isn't it? We may be here another hour. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it, Brad. That, you know, that the daily Facebook is something I think that people can use and share with their friends because about every three months on that, I will come back to putting the tools. I'll do about a week of the tools that are in my books. And, um, but it's, uh, it's how to apply grief and let people know that you can be a normal griever and um, still live. There's there's hope, but uh, I always encourage people to find that person in your life that's a safe person that mm. you can talk to and kind of walk with you in this grief journey because uh, it, it's hard to do it alone. Mm. Yes. Yes, it is. Skin on them. I, I realize God's with us all, but sometimes we need somebody with skin on them that we can talk to. That's it, you know, and, and how do we be uh, God for others, right? You know, how can we yeah. be God for others? And and maybe that is where that, uh, that human flesh comes into play that we can still, uh, show attributes of God to others. And, uh, whether that's leading them to him or just being, you know, the, the hands and feet of God. So, sure. and I, you know, I heard years ago and it seems to apply that we may be the only Bible some people read. Wow. Yeah, that's so true. So through our life and uh, our example that, you know, I have a bad example for that, but it's a, it's a calling in life that we work with grievers. And I know that's your calling also. I appreciate the podcast and things you do in your therapy and talking with groups about grief because it, it lets people know that there's hope. And that, yes. Uh, I respect your calling, brother. <laughs> hey, I, and I thank you for all the work that you've done and, um, I have already purchased the book literally as we we've been speaking and I, I look forward to it. It says it's going to be here on Sunday of, of all days. So, um, <laughs> Amazon's working around the clock, I guess, <laughs> but, they do, they do. Yep. but, uh, I, I look forward to reading that and I'm always, uh, willing to listen to others and, and know that I don't have everything figured out. And I love putting new tools in, in my own tool bag and, being able to share those with others. So I, I really look forward to that. Yeah, so thank you, well, for uh, Bob, this is Brad here at the grief observed podcast. I really appreciate you all being with us. I hope you've been blessed by this episode. And uh, again, if, if you want to reach out to Bob, I'll have his email in the show description. I'll have his Facebook page, uh, a link to his book. And if you want to be on the show, like Bob was today, reach out to me at griefobservedpodcast at gmail.com. Um, I've also now got a Facebook page for the Grief Observed Podcast. I'll put that in the show description as well. So thanks for being here, everybody, and we will catch you next episode.